I encourage everyone to take a moment and breathe and take a tea cheers with a Jiri tea. A Jiri tea recognizes the beauty in shared stories and shared opportunities. Ajiri sources award-winning tea from Kenya, employs women in the region to handcraft the labels, and sends 100% of the profits back to the region to support orphan education. Save 10% on your order of Kenyan teas and coffee with the code BEAUTIFULLYHUMAN at ajiritea.com. A-J-I-R-I-T.com. Tea mugs up! Hello, and welcome to the Beautifully Human podcast. I'm Nick Sheesby. In this podcast, I speak with beautiful humans from all around the world, sharing with you their incredible stories, revealing the power in every human story to spread love and humanity to a world that is in desperate need of it, to show that we can all connect in beautiful ways, no matter where we come from or what we look like. What you will find out is that we are all beautifully human. Let's all be beautifully human. Today on the Beautifully Human podcast, I am joined by Simon Okello. He has an amazing podcast called the African Father in America podcast. He's joining me from Seattle. His stories of his life are so empowering and beautiful, and I hope you just feel the joy that I felt while having this conversation. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, follow on Spotify and Instagram at The Beautifully Human Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That does help, and most of all, enjoy this beautiful conversation. Oh. Yeah. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I love all the instruments around your room in there. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you located? I am in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Very nice. And you're in Seattle, correct? Yes, that's correct. We connected through Clubhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw saw your profile there, and then I, yeah, I went to your Instagram, and I, I just saw all the beautiful beautiful work you're putting out into the world and so i i reached out to to speak with you just to to hear your story and yeah you know share share your share your message with the world yeah thank you thank you for the opportunity tell me about your podcast a little and the, just the audience the demography a little so that uh, then we can start after that yeah no problem um so it's called the beautifully human podcast um, I got the idea just from all my travels that I've been super fortunate to have and beautiful conversations I've had around the world. Um, and also just like with the stigma that is, that is out right now of just like how much hatred and all that that's going on in the world. I want to just show how we're all beautifully human, you know? Not necessarily outwardly, but you know the in, inner workings of of us as humans. I want I want to show that from a diverse group of people in the world from all over, doing all kinds of beautiful work in the world. So um, yeah, it's it's that I I have um, I started it off as a blog just called Beautifully Human. So I grew a little bit of an audience that way. Um, I would just send like a bunch of questions and have people answer it and put it up. On, a, on our web, on my partner and I's website. Yeah. And then um, somebody just in, 
was just said, you know what, you should do this as a podcast. And yeah, so here I am. <laughs> How long ago did you start doing the blog, the blog portion of it? Uh, in July. So yeah, mid midsummer. I had I had a little backstory before that. I I am two and a half years sober right now. Yeah. And um I told my story about a year into my sobriety journey of just like my, you know, my strength and my story. And, you know, I just felt empowered by the beautiful response that I got from a couple people who were inspired to get sober from my journey, which I didn't even realize I was putting that out into the world. And I was just thinking, man, if I didn't know I had this much power in myself, there's so many people out there that have beautiful, powerful stories that don't think that they do have that. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to show that a, to the people that are, were a part of it of like, your story has power. Your story is, has, has meaning. Your story is beautiful and you're a beautiful human. Um, but also wanted to, like, I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in a small town that's still very close-minded. And, you know, I, I, it's disheartening to see the hatred that's coming out of there. So it was also motivated with, you can't hate someone that you don't know. So, like, learn about all of this these people from all over the world and just see, like, we're not all that different, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, just so it all just kind of came out of, this, this growth that I've been going through, you know, with my sobriety journey and then telling my story and then, you know, just, yeah. I, I want to give empowerment to the world. You know, I think, I think we all, no matter who we are, where we come from, what we do, we all have power in our stories, you know? And so I, I, I love having conversations. And so, yeah, it just worked out to turn into a podcast. So, you know, I'm just trying to meet new people and, you know, yeah share share beauty into the world yeah so uh last question so you're, you're saying we we were not in the same room at some point on clubhouse you just went there and found my profile That's no we we were we were in i think we were in um a positivity room together uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, i think it was the one that like the namaste and positive speaking but i i clicked on yours and i i saw like saw your uh like um your bio and then i clicked on um on your instagram and then i saw your podcast and all the videos and everything and i was just like yes i would love to hear more about your journey yeah i'm grateful man i'm all yours tell me how we are going to do it beautiful so i um i usually just kick it off by saying tell me a story about your life you know tell me a story about your life and then i just kind of let the people that are chatting with me spin you know tell their tell their story of their life you know from beginning to where you are now and then we just kind of weave a weave I, i have a couple questions written down you know if i get to them but most of the time I just kind of flow with conversation, but I do have, I do have a couple, you know, couple questions that I was going to ask, but okay. yeah, I just, I like to have it as, as a very natural, just a, a natural conversation. Yeah, that's good. So is this, the final product is both video and audio or just, uh, audio? I, use, I just use audio okay. so far. I mean, it's recording the video cause yeah. Zoom records both, but as of right now, I've I've only, I've done it specifically audio. Yeah, 
Man, well, um, my story, I was raised in Kisumu, Kenya, but I live in Seattle, Washington. Kisumu, Kenya is, um, it's the third largest city in Kenya and uh, uh, it's right next to Lake Victoria. And Lake Victoria is the world's second largest freshwater lake. Mm. There is the, 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 the best tilapia, the tastiest tilapia is only found in Lake Victoria. If you get anything else elsewhere, that's duplicate. <laughs> <laughs> I so love that. If you want to enjoy tilapia, that's where you get the best. And also, if you want to enjoy Nile patch, there's another fish called Nile patch. In the local language, it's called mbuta. Uh, and then, uh, you know, tilapia is called ngege in the local language. Very tasty, very, very delicious. I grew up eating a lot of fish and ugali. Ugali was our staple food, you know. Um, and and we, we always, you know, had visitors. I remember one time there was an Irish guy that was visiting us. My mother founded an orphanage home in 1997. So we lived with about 60 children every day. And um, there was an Irish volunteer, you know, a lot of white people from Europe and America go to volunteer in Africa for different, different projects. So my mother started an orphanage home to uh, provide food and shelter and education for children that had been orphaned as a result of the HIV AIDS epidemic in the 1990s. Um, and so this Irish guy, you know, we were eating with him, you know, because food, when food was ready, everybody had to be present. Yeah. If you're present, your share is eaten by somebody else, you know. <laughs> yeah. So people were very punctual and all visitors were also punctual. So this particular day, you know, my mother was in the kitchen and the table was set. And the only people at the table were myself and this Irish guy. I can't remember this Irish guy's name, but the project I was working on around that time was, there was a toilet that was, I grew up, you know, here in the US, in Seattle, you have your toilet, your bathroom is inside the house. In Kenya, I grew up with the toilet and the bathroom being outside and it's pit, pit latrine. So it's basically a hole and a toilet is built on top of it. And then there are stairs that get you to the toilet, you know? So yeah. it's on top of a septic tank, you know? Okay. So after all the waste, after it's filled up, you basically go and dig another hole, you know? Wow, and let okay. decompose and turn into soil, you know? So that's the kind of system we had. Uh, anyhow, so I was demolishing one toilet and building modern toilets similar to the type of toilets we have in the US. So I was like breaking it down. And so I was working with local construction people. I was leading this project, you know, I was young, but, you know, very, uh, very, you know, involved with, um, you know, a construction projects within the orphanage home that my mother was running. Uh, you know, if there was work to be done with, whether it's painting, if we hire somebody, I also have a brush and I learn how to paint and I help, you know, I was always being helpful. And so 
we were eating with this Irish guy and, you know, when we were being served there, food is served in abundance, you know. So we had a big lump of ugali and then we had, you know, fish, you know, tilapia. We had kale. We had, you know, like uh, uh, fermented milk. We had, you know, the table was well, you know, well filled with different things. Yeah. We were eating, we were eating, and my mother always came back and said, hey, guys, keep eating, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And and this Irish guy, he was so respectful because one of the things that white people learn in in America or Europe before they go to Africa is is some etiquette, some cultural etiquette. And he was told that you have to respect elders. Whatever they tell you, you have to do it, you know. Mom was telling him you have to eat and he was eating frantically, but he didn't know that this type of food we ate there, it fills you up even for days. So the amount he had eaten was not the amount he was used to eating. He, he was used to eating burgers and things like that. Sure. Ireland. And so I went back to my room after this dinner where him and I were also sharing a bed actually. And he was laying face up, looking up at the ceiling with his eyes red, and he was actually shedding tears. And so I asked him, what's wrong? And he told me, you know, he was quiet the first time I asked him. I was far, I was by the door. So then I moved closer and asked him, hey, are you doing okay? And then he said, yes, I'm doing okay. No, he said no. I'm not doing okay. I am full, you know. I am like I am so full that I'm not doing okay. And he was just crying. Yeah. And I wanted to laugh, but I was like, no, I can't laugh at this guy. He's really in trouble, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I out of the room so that I could laugh and then come back and help him, you know. And I told him, listen, just sleep, you know, just sleep because you ate too much, and and that's that's good. You did the, the right thing, you know. You when when. When elders, especially women, when they ask you to eat and they make for you like, uh, you know, a meal like that, um, you do it. And so, you know, that's the type of environment where I grew up in. You know, I was growing up in one of the poorest neighborhoods, but we were we were raised up with a feeling of abundance, you know, and a lot of knowledge sharing, a lot of storytelling. And that's why, you know, today with the, with the work I do with my, you know, my nonprofit, One Vibe Africa, the work I do with my podcast, the African Father in America podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm also working on a book called uh, Rooted in Love that is due for, you know, publication on December 29th this year. So, yeah, so I'm working on many, many different things right now. uh, But really the center of all of it is love, you know, because... um, Without that, nothing else is possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so here in Seattle, I'm also a father of three girls. Um, That's a very important role that I play in this world, you know, being a father. uh, I love inspiring other fathers, whether they're black, white, or green. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's important to to share is that uh, we are living in a very... um, delicate time in the history of mankind, you know, we are dealing with climate change, we are dealing with, um, you know, scarcity for for mostly 
underserved communities, mostly black people, you know, uh, and now discussions are being made by the rich about what the world is going to look like post-coronavirus. And I feel that the communities that are going to be impacted by any pandemic or any calamity, those communities are not being involved in the discussion. And I think we just need to be aware, more aware, look around you, look around your neighborhood, see what's going on, ask questions, be yeah. involved because the world is changing now while we are in the pandemic and we need to be a part of that change. We need to be on the table where these ideas are being discussed or we are going to be the food that is going to be on the menu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's it, man. Thank you again so much. Yeah, I... Man, I, I just love, I love, I love hearing your stories. Um, I wanted to ask, when did you start learning English? I learned English uh, when I was almost when I, when I was almost ten years. I think around ten years, ten, eleven years. I had a hard time learning how to read. You know, mm, sure. I didn't. My sister taught me how to read. You know, we used, um, in school, I had a hard time reading because I was, from the time I was eight years old, I was already working, you know. So what I was focusing on was learning how to count money, learning how to build relationships so that I can go and supply you with with, with bread or milk, you know. Uh, those are the things I was learning uh, and spending my energy thinking about. So when I went to school, I was already exhausted because I ri I was riding a bicycle to supply things. So I I was not always 100% present in you know school, especially at, at the beginning. So I learned English through packets of uh, you know milk and bread. The things I was touching are the things that my sister helped me to learn how to read with, you know. So yeah. she, you know, we picked a packet of the bread and she, she knew I knew the name of the bread because I sell it, you know. So one of the bread brands that I sold was called Sun Blessed, you know. Mm. So then we took away Sun and then left Bless, you know, and we talked about Sun, you know, then we talked about Bless and then we picked different words in the packet and, and you know, slowly by slowly I, I started going to class and actually raising my hand and reading paragraphs. And then I just became passionate about, you know, being able to communicate, not just in English, but in my mother tongue in Kiswahili and a few other languages. I just love uh, being able to communicate effectively, you know? Yeah, I, I love, I love languages. I wish, I wish that I would have been I, I wish I would have taken more advantage of them when I was younger and learned them. I, I, I still only speak English, but um, I, I always think if I if I could be given one superpower, it would I would I would choose to know every language in the world so that I could communicate with everybody in their own language, because yeah. I think it's just so powerful to to be able to go somewhere and be able to speak to to somebody. I mean, I. I think it's amazing when somebody can just converse with me in my language when I'm in their country, but I would love to be able to go to your country and sit down with you and speak in your language. But what all, what all languages do you speak? Kiswahili, uh, Luo, 
uh, a little bit of Luya, a little bit of Kikuyu, a little bit of Dinka, Chechewa, you know, and these are places I've spent a little time in, you know, where I can at least ask for water, I can at least, uh, you know, show love, you know, and ask for help, you know, yeah. yeah. But fluently Luo, Kiswahili, and English, I write and read in those. Oh, that's so amazing. Um, I know this is putting you on the spot, but could you say a, a phrase in, in one of those languages? Habariyako. Habari, habari yako. That means, how are you? You know, oh, that is Kiswahili. Okay. Habari yako. Habari then, yako. Yeah, habari yako. Then you reply, mzuri. Mzuri. Yes, that means good. Ah, okay. And then you can also reply, mbaya. Maya? Mbaya. Yeah, mbaya means bad. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. That's so cool. And I love, um, I think it's so neat that you were at an orphanage and you got to see all that love that was being poured into that. And now with all everything that you are up to, that you are pouring all that love, you know, as a father, but also motivating fathers in this country to be better fathers. I think that's so, so beautiful. Do you, do you think because you were in, in that orphanage, just like seeing all that love, was that what like, you know, put you into that mission? You know, no, actually, no. I, I just feel and I know that I'll be a father forever because I'm a father. So I have to be a responsible father and uh, similar to other things that I do in my life, you know, I just put all my heart into it. And I feel that, uh, I feel that it's something I can share with people and inspire other people to do the same, you know. Um, and I think the world needs more fathers talking about how great they are at what they do and also how their children and their wives and their communities benefit from that greatness, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the mission that I'm on. And also the world, how can we change the world by being good men and good fathers yeah. and good beings, you know? Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's such important work with men too. You know, it's, it's this whole like, chest beating like alpha male mm -hmm. it's like let's just be good humans let's 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 push that into other men and, and let men have feelings and and you know be empathetic and that's that's a good thing you know be right. more loving um so right. when did you come to the states 2010 june 2010 is when I moved to the U.S., but the first time I came to the U.S. was in 2009. I came to fundraise for a nonprofit organization uh, that is called uh, Solace International. Um, I worked for them as their field director for Africa, uh, and I came to fundraise for them. So I went to about eight different states uh, together with the founder of that nonprofit and also who is the executive director. We visited, you know, his uh, network that helped him create the organization, particularly the 
the board members uh we we attended a few fundraising events speaking events uh we met a lot of donors uh we went to wall street we went to salt lake city we went to alaska oh, nice. we, we went to arizona we, came, we that's the first time i came to washington state you know uh we we went to uh nevada you know yeah yeah we went to oregon <laughs> yeah so so yes that's the first time i came to the U- to move to the us 2010 came to the us 2009 but i've been privileged i've been able to go back to kenya almost every year ah See, beautiful yeah almost every year sometime more than once yeah that's so good i love that um and what what took you to seattle my wife is from here my wife oh, beautiful yeah i met my wife in liberia and uh she's white we met we were partnering on a project together she was working with one nonprofit organization i was working with another nonprofit organization and uh, we were we were building health clinics we were we spent about 6 months between kenya and liberia and ghana and malawi those are the areas where we were doing some surveys to just see where we could collaborate on building a health clinic because we had built a health clinic the first hiv aids clinic in ghana and after that we were going to either work together in liberia or in kenya but we chose after working on like research for about 6 months uh we chose kenya and uh you know the clinic that we built which includes a funeral home uh still runs up to date over there uh yeah so i've been involved with uh, a lot of work around africa and part of the rewards was a wife <laughs> i'd say that's a pretty good reward to come out of that yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah. and so how old are your children the oldest is 6 the second born is 4 the last born is a year and a half wow so you are yeah. busy these days <laughs> yes yes i love wow. it i love it i can't complain oh no um how has it been during the pandemic um having your the, the schooling and everything with with your children it's been good it's been good you know it's it's we've we've encountered growth amongst all of us you know uh, our oldest is growing and expanding our our patience you know uh, because she has to grow uh, we are growing too the other younger two girls are also growing and you know they are doing a lot of amazing stuff art you know they they just playing a lot they just love being kids and they make me want to be like a kid you know yeah the pandemic has allowed us to play more and uh, fight more and sing more and snuggle and and you know just live together you know we have a garden we've 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 been gardening a lot together this past summer some of our plants even kale we still have fresh kale in the garden um you know we've been very very lucky yeah, yeah. we've been very lucky and uh yeah yeah we are grateful 
Yeah, I think, you know, if there is any silver lining throughout this pandemic is the time that we've been given to be with our loved ones and really enjoy that, you know, you know, what a good age for you to have that amount of time with your girls. I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so with your, the, the, I am one vibe Africa. Um, how did that come about? In 2007, Kenya had an election, a national election, similar to what the U S had between Trump and, 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 and Joe Biden. And uh, the imagine Trump losing and sending all those proud boys to demolish property and kill people uh, that did not support them. Hmm. So that's what happened in Kenya. The the loser, uh, the the losing side. Uh, and the whole country knew that the losing side had, had won the election. So the, the president or the loser refused to accept defeat and was sworn in at night. And um, the country just erupted. In fact, I had uh, voted and I was on my way to Ghana and then Liberia. So I voted the night after the election, you know, I was in Nairobi in the capital, seeing how the results were coming out. And it was clear that the opposition leader was winning by far. Then I took my flight when I landed in Ghana, Kenya was already burning, you know? So like 12 hours after I voted, you know, um, and, um, it went on for like three months. And after that three months, I mobilized my DJ friends and we organized a concert in my hometown to bring the fighting sides together, you know, yeah. in town. And so that concert brought people that had been killing each other together. And uh, we, we had an amazing experience. The, the next day people were asking us when we were going to do the next one. And, uh, seeing that we had provided a solution, like a, an alternative to the violence made me want to do something more consistently. So instead of doing that concert consistently, I created an education music and art program that would give youths alternatives to, to the violence and to some of the drugs that were used to uh, alter this, the thinking of many of the youths so that they could kill each other, you know? Yeah. Because besides the hatred that was preached, um, so besides the hatred that was preached, there's also drugs that were given and alcohol and all of those things that stimulate people to want to do bad things to one another. So we found that music was something that could be an alternative and teaching people how to play music, how to get a career in music, film production, photography. Those are the programs we started since 2013. We've been running those programs until now uh, in Kenya. And this is inside the orphanage home that my mother started. So we transformed the orphanage home into a creative hub. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, that's what I am One Vibe Africa. 
that hashtag, but the organization is called One Vibe Africa. You can go online to www.onevibeafrica.org. Uh, you'll find a lot of information there. You can also go to YouTube on One Vibe TV, and you can find a lot of videos uh, just to learn more. Um, yeah, that's the work I do with my nonprofit organization. Yeah, I when I when I started looking into everything you were you were up to, I found a few of those videos and it was just because I, I work in music. I've I've worked in the music industry for this would have been 16 years mm -hmm. um, touring with bands and everything. So music is definitely my my love language, one of them. And mm -hmm. I loved watching these videos of, of the, the the youth just so many were like oh i i didn't i didn't play this before and then like just watching them open up and creating this unbelievable music and it was so i i just thought it was so powerful and so i i, I think it's so beautiful that you're using that as the alternative to the drugs and the alcohol and the violence down there because it is such a powerful love language yeah, man, and also to give people self-esteem, just to build people's confidence and to to uh, help people identify their greatness and then help them with the network, with the connections, you know, with the platforms so that they can then raise their voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's just the most important work that needs to be done. And currently I'm looking into expanding that model where... I, I look for other orphanage homes around Africa, outside of Kenya, and share with them how we, we transformed our orphanage home into a creative hub, you know? Yeah. And how we can network and partner up. You know, we want to also add tech components to the work we are doing so that we have, you know, uh, more programming going on and more coding so that we can create apps and be involved in developing things like Clubhouse. Of yeah from Africa, you know? Oh man, I, I love that. I love that. And I, yeah, anyway, that, anyway, I could be of, of help with that would be super awesome. I would love to just spread that joy and beauty to the world. So yeah. did you, did you, did you play music growing up as well then? Man, music was like mandatory. Everybody really played music, even unknowingly in Africa. If you grew up in music, somehow, if, you know, music was like a part of how people were taught things, you know. Uh, from the time we were babies, we were, our mothers put us to bed through lullaby, you know. Mm, yeah. That's a playful song. La la tu tu la la. That's a lullaby song, you know. <laughs> so there were so many songs everywhere, you know. So I I think I was just born with music. Yeah. A lot of Africans are born with music. Not a lot, but all. You just choose to embrace it and turn it into a career and make it something full time, you know. Uh, and it involves work, you know. So growing up as a kid, I, I sang in the choir because my parents used to go to the church and we had to be involved with church activities. I was an MC, you know, if you're DJing and you're MCing, sometimes you sing the songs and teach the audience the songs, you know. Yeah. Um, 
but but now I actually sing, you know, I sing, um, I have one song that is out, I'm releasing the video very soon in the next, uh, within the next month, actually. That's yeah, awesome. so, yeah, so just working on little things here and there, you know, just keeping keeping this life exciting and busy and beautiful, you know. Yeah, I man, just even hearing the little snippets of those those lullabies just made me smile. I love I love that. So, do you do you uh, put you know do you use those with your daughters as well? I do every time, every time, every time we sing a lot. Uh, I try to be very expressive with them. You know, uh, I treat them like comrades. You know. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, so when you when you came to the states, were you you were already were you already with your wife at the time? My wife and I met before I came to the U.S. Then when I came to the U.S., I, I visited with her family, and that's when I proposed. And that was in two thousand and nine during my first trip. Yeah. Okay. The very end of my trip is when I proposed. Then. Uh, so we met in Africa, got married here, and, you know, we have family here, we have our home here, so I live in the U.S. primarily. Uh, yeah, then I go I go back home, you know, consistently. Yeah. Oldest son, so I have a lot of responsibilities back at home, you know. Uh, so besides the work with my nonprofit and my initiatives, uh, uh, you know, I, I just have a lot of you know, uh, personal responsibility and and uh, cultural responsibility. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how how was your transition to living here in the states? You know, I had a few friends that already lived here, and uh, uh, I didn't consider even ever moving to to the U.S. or any other part of the world besides uh, Africa, but. Uh, you know, the adjustment to living in the U.S. has been good, but you know the challenges that are related to those, you know, the actual journey have also been brutal. You know, um, and uh, and there are stories and lessons that you know we can share with with, with our children, with with other people who have a desire to come to the U.S. Uh, but I think. Every human being should live anywhere in the world where they want, you know. Uh, I, I don't believe in borders. I, I don't believe that people should be given priority when they go to some parts of the world and other people should not be given priority, you know. Yeah. Uh, those are the dehumanizing things that I think we need to get rid of. Yeah, I, I am with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but being in the U.S. has been very good for me. I've made a lot of, I've expanded my horizons. I've, I've expanded my network greatly. Look, look at us right now. Yeah. If I didn't move to the U.S., we would have never been having, have a, we, would have, we would have never had a chance to have this conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think being able to travel, you know, um, there, there's an African saying that, if you don't travel, you will marry your sister. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. Basically, means you better travel, otherwise you'll you'll 
you know, you'll cause messes that you can never recover from, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, since I started following you, I've loved the proverbs that you put up on, um, on your Instagram. And I saw the one today and I thought it was just beautiful where it says, if a tree does not know how to dance, the wind will teach it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the simplicity, but the depth of that is just so incredible. Yeah, it's true. And and that's why these proverbs exist, you know? And and that's why I host my room daily on Clubhouse, 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, every day, you know, consistently to share with people African proverbs and then allow people to learn from each other and get wisdom, you know? Yeah. We really, you know, we can only get wisdom from each other, you know? Yeah. And uh and I think and I think um unless we gather together around a fire, which we can't do now, but we can put the fire in clubhouse and gather there, put the fire in your podcast and gather there, you know? Yeah. And talk and and and, and sharpen each other. If we can't do that then we can't make progress as as humanity, you know? And again, this speaks to the reset, you know, the reset that people are talking about that is taking place now um, for what the world is going to look like post-coronavirus and uh, how climate change is going to play a big part in that. I think um, having meaningful, meaningful conversations, uh, uh, starting with things like African proverbs, is how we can actually be willing to have difficult conversations uh, in relation to uh, better ways of sharing resources, uh, better ways of uh, distributing opportunities, you know, better ways of um, creating spaces for people who have not been heard historically, you know. So there's a lot of work to be done, but it has to start from a conversation and a willingness to look at each other, listen to each other, and use all the tools we have at our disposal to to talk yeah yeah and i mean we talked briefly about it before we started but you know that's that's what i that's what my hope is with this is that people will just sit and listen to two perfect strangers having a conversation today but you know like we're actually strangers it's a good thing we are strangers but it's like we've known each other yeah because uh you know the way the way you approached me and the way I responded, everything happened so quickly, you know? Yeah. Feel that you need to do something and it's the right thing. You just say yes to it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is great, man. We will do it again, you know? Yeah. Again. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love speaking with people that I have met, but I also, I, I just love it when it's, when it's genuinely like first time I've ever spoken to you and it, you know, it just shows how, when you have humanity and you're just having a willingness to talk and learn about somebody, like you, you can always learn from somebody, even if you've known them for a hundred years, or if you've literally never met that person, you can always learn something new. If you just have a conversation with that person, you know, sure. um, I have three more questions for you. If you have, oh. if you have a minute, um, I'd love to ask this one to everybody that is on here. And, if, you know, corona and travel restrictions aside, 
Um, if I gave you a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you where would you fly to? I would fly to Kisumu, my hometown, man. I have to go back there to pay homage to my ancestors and to to eat the food that I ate growing up uh, and to just ground, to recharge, you know? Yeah. To just understand who I am from people who saw me growing up, you know? Uh, the people who saw me growing up are all scattering and, uh, you know, scattering in many, many different directions. And so the more I can get back there, the better for me. Uh, traveling to other wonderful places in the world, I will have those opportunities. But that ticket of yours, I'll take it to Kenya. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I love that. Um, uh, and then what what yeah. would you want the world to know about you oh, i just would like the world to know that um you know i'm here to listen i'm here to be helpful and i'm here to show love that's why i'm here yeah and in the short time that we've spoken i i can feel that i, I feel such good good energy and just the love from you just speaking with you so i can i can attest to that being being very true but i do i love that and then um if you had the ear of everybody in the world what would you say to them i would say to them to pay attention to the cry of african people globally you know yeah we are the op most oppressed group of people in the world you know, even if you don't look at it, uh, you know, through the lens of race, uh, the lens that speaks to capitalists is the economic status of communities that uh, black people are located globally is not good. So then you look at the contributions they've made to those communities compared to their living standards, it's not good. And I think it's a shame you know? Yeah. And I think it's something that when we are now heading to the reset, we need to live, we need to become more human with one another. We need to, we can't run out of resources in this world. So it's not a bad thing to give um, other people what they deserve. You, you won't run out, you know? Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's so true, man. Uh, you know, you'll always, uh, as you give, it, it re replenishes, you know? Yes. In, a, in, 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 in big ways, in plenty. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it has been so fantastic to talk with you, Simon. I, I really, truly have, I've been looking forward to this since I heard you speak in Clubhouse and then messaged you and then we connected so i thank you for your time i thank you for coming on here and chatting with me and being on my podcast and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and seeing how we can grow you know grow as friends and and help each other out thank you me too me too i'm grateful man i'm looking forward to um the release of this episode and for the future collaborations thank yes. you so much. you're very welcome Okay. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, my friend. You too. Take care. See you. Okay, see you. 
Thank you for listening to the Beautifully Human podcast. To hear more beautiful stories from beautiful humans, follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Beautifully Human Podcast. Peace signs up.